Lord, we thank you so much for, um, for this opportunity to look at who you are, for the glory of the amazing God that we have. Lord, you are indescribable, but you've given us a lot that we can find out about you. And of course, you've sent Jesus, your son, to reveal yourself to us. And we pray, Lord, that as we work through this series, as we go through this, uh, this uh, session this morning, that you would stretch our minds, you'd stretch our understanding. And Lord, you would pour your Holy Spirit upon us. But, but Lord, you would enable us to grasp the stuff that you want us to hear and to understand and learn. And Lord, we pray that through it all, you would have the glory and you would be honoured. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I think the, the whole concept of studying the, uh, the character of God uh, is crucial for us as Christians. All too often, Christians are eager to see what they can get from God. But I think it's even more important that we actually learn who God is and what he's like so that we can then worship him and serve him. Um, I think the more we understand about God, the more we will appreciate the amazing richness of our salvation. If we don't understand the God who we worship, uh, the God who we uh, trust and serve, then we are at a significant disadvantage. In many ways, as I said just now, we, we will have to concede we will never fully understand God, either now or, dare I say, even in heaven. I think we will understand more in heaven, but he will still be infinite and we will still be finite even in heaven. But uh, hallelujah, he's given us, graciously given us the Bible and he's given us in there a good deal of information about his character so that we can know something of what he's like and it's good. Have you ever stopped to think how great a privilege it is that God is personal and approachable? Have you also thought how wonderful it is that our God is good rather than an all-powerful tyrant. So many religions pray to the gods in a sort of impersonal sense, and they have no real idea of who they are trying to appease to make life better. Yet our God has revealed himself and has done all that is needed for us to have a relationship with him. So many people have a distorted view of God, even if they believe he exists. That, that it might range from a sort of doting and indulgent bearded grandfather type to a fierce and a distant judge who will sort of, is ready to pounce on, on this for the slightest reason. But I hope from this you will uh, realize the importance of having a biblical understanding of God and his character. Um, and I think it's, it's good for us to focus our thoughts on him in daily life so that we know who it is we're focusing on and not just what we can receive from him. Uh, the, the Bible teacher of years ago, J. Gresham Machen, said, the more we know of God, the more unreservedly we will trust him, the greater our progress in theology and the simpler and more childlike will be our faith. 
So before we look at God himself, how do we know he exists? Interestingly, the Bible never seeks to prove that God exists. Uh, it works on the basis that he does. And we believe that the Bible is true. On the other hand, the Bible does have something to say about those who don't believe that God exists, and this being the atheists. And God's view of uh, the atheists we find in Psalms 14 verse 1 and also 53 verse 1. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. And according to the Bible, therefore, it's folly not to believe in God. Uh, which actually is quite a far cry from the current culture that we live in, in the West. So God takes the view that it is irrational and it's foolish uh, not to believe in him. And, of course, his view is correct. And uh, apart from the fact we have much evidence in the Bible that God exists, uh, I guess to be fair, we need to look outside the Bible as, outside the Bible as well. And I think we can see significant uh, evidence of God's existence in nature, in his creation. Uh, ultimately, of course, we see God revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. We also ought to say that we have a triune God, one God in three persons. But that's a, a major topic that I'm going to leave till some week's time. Uh, but we will look at it. <coughs> but my focus for now is to consider the characteristics or the attributes of God, and they are delightfully rich. Uh, there are some commentators who try and put a sort of uh, a, a barrier between what is a characteristic and an attribute, but for purposes of this course, I'm, I'm regarding them as the same. Uh, so if I use the word attribute, I mean characteristic and vice versa. Um, and Again, we need to get the Bible as our focus, as our starting point for understanding God's attributes and his character. And of course, our minds are fallen and they're finite, but God is infinite and he is perfect. And he's given us his word um, because only there will we grasp his truth. And I should also mention that all of God's attributes are shared by the Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All of those three are equally divine, and they have uh, the attributes in infinite measure. Uh, and the infinity, infinity of God is, is vital in all his attributes. And being infinite, God is free from all limitations. It's absolutely amazing. So with that foundation, let's put our seatbelts on and see where we're going. Uh, today I want to start with looking at the immutability of God, which may seem like a long word. Uh, it, now, it means God doesn't change. Uh, and my reason for starting here is that this gives us, I think, a good platform for considering all of God's other attributes. Because God is constant and he doesn't change, then all of his attributes exist and continue unchanged. And that gives us enormous strength and encouragement in our faith. Because if God wasn't immutable, if he was changeable, how would we know that he still loves us today? Or that he is still almighty or holy? 
Uh, God's unchangeable nature has been defined by Wayne Grudem, who is a, a, a Bible student, scholar. And he says, God is unchanging in his being, in his perfections, purposes, and promises. Yet God does act and feel emotions, and he acts and feels differently in response to different situations. It should be there on the screen. I'll just let you take that in. God is unchanging in his being, in his perfections, purposes, and promises. Yet God does act and feel emotions, and he acts and feels differently in response to different situations. Each part of that definition is important. And contrast that with the ever-changing world that we live in. And then we see the immense value of God's unchangeableness, his immutability. Uh, contrast it with our changeableness. You look back at photos of yourself a few years ago and you realise that afresh. Uh, often our clothes that we wore a few years ago no longer fit us or they've worn out or they just look plain ridiculous today because fashions have changed. And in the context of our changeableness, we can see that this is one of the most exciting facets of God's nature, because just as unchangeableness is normal for us, it's completely alien to him. God is described as a rock in Deuteronomy 32 verses three and four. For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. He is the rock. His work is perfect for all his ways are justice. And uh, we see rocks as something that's stable and secure, unchanging, a total contrast to the shifting sands of our lives. And he's the same God who we will see in eternity and we're told to build our lives on the rock that is Jesus Christ. Um, so God never changes. He is the same yesterday, today and forever. When we finished off doing Hebrews a couple of weeks back, we saw that in Hebrews 13 verse 8. Um, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever, showing that Jesus as the Son is unchanging. Malachi 3 verse 6 says, For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. God doesn't change. And because God doesn't change, he's never been immature, nor will he ever grow old. God has never known the folly of youth, nor will he ever decay with age. His character is constant. So that if he has ever loved you, and he has, he always will. You don't have to get up one morning and think, does God love me or not? He doesn't change. Uh, because we know that God is good, that his words are true, uh, we know that that will always be the case. God existed between the heavens, sorry, before the heavens and the earth were made, and he will outlast his creation. Psalm 102, verses 25 to 27. Of old, you laid the foundation of the earth, the heaven, and the heavens are the work of your hands. 
They will perish, but you will endure. Yes, they will all grow old like a garment. Like a cloak, you will change them and they will be changed. But you are the same and your years have no end. If you want a passage in the New Testament, we could turn to James chapter 1, verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. The uh, God is the Father of lights. He, he made the sun, the moon and the stars. So that's what it's referring to as being the Father of lights. But there's no variation or shadow of turning with him. The creation may change, but not our God who made it. And God's purposes don't change either. Uh, if you consider uh, Psalm 33, verse 11, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Once God has determined that he will bring something about, his purpose is unchanging and it will be achieved. And this means that we can know that what he has declared in his word will never change. Just think it would be awful if God decided one day that part of his word no longer applied. We'd all we'd be all at sea. And we get that confirmed in Isaiah 46 in verses 9 to 11, which says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man who executes my counsel from a far country. Indeed, I have spoken it and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed it and I will also do it. And this unchanging reliability of God and his purposes shows, I think, the error of replacement theology, which suggests that God has finished with Israel and replaced them with the church. He's chosen someone else to go to. And God is also unchanging in his, uh, in his promises. If you look at Numbers 23, verse 19, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? And because God doesn't change, once he's said something, he is committed to it and he will not be unfaithful to what he's promised. He never has to regret that he said something in haste, or that which is incorrect, that he has to retract what he said. It's completely unlike us, isn't it? And his immutability means that he is utterly reliable. And how great that is that we've got a God who is like that. And if he's ever promised us good things, and he's said that he has done that in his word, he will ensure that he will fulfill those promises. If he's ever said to us that we're saved, then we must be saved forever. And similarly, God has made firm and unconditional covenants with Israel. So that means that he hasn't and he never will finish with Israel as a nation. He hasn't replaced them with the church. And if he had, that would mean that he is not immutable. And also it would give us no security because where would we be then? if we couldn't rely on 
his promises and his covenants. But this does raise the question of, uh, does God sometimes change his mind? Some verses seem to suggest that. We might think of God delaying the judgment that he threatened against Nineveh as a result of Jonah's preaching. In Jonah 3 verse 4, we read, And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried to God and said, sorry, he cried out and said, For yet forty days Nineveh shall be overthrown. Yet in verse 10, we read, Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil ways, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. In this regard, God hasn't changed in his nature. God hasn't changed in his purposes. What we're doing is we're looking at God's present attitude or intention with respect to the situation as it exists at that moment. If the situation changes, then God's attitude or expression of intention may also change. In other words, God responds differently to different situations. And in Jonah's preaching, uh, it may not have been explicitly stated, but it was implied that God would withhold judgment if the people repented. I mean, that's the whole purpose of the message that uh, was intended to bring about a change of heart in the people of Nineveh. And once they did repent, God responded differently to that changed situation. It wasn't God who changed, it was the situation that changed. And to some degree, we could say that the same applies with answer prayer. God responds differently to the situation because of the prayers offered and thus alters his response. He is immutable, but not immovable. And we should praise his name that that's the case. And we also have some passages where God says he is sorry about something that is done. For example, before the flood in Genesis 6, verse 6, which says, and the Lord was sorry that he'd made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. Or we could refer also to 1 Samuel 15, 10 and 11. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret that I've set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel and he cried out to the Lord all night. These were expressions of God's present displeasure towards the situations and towards man's sinfulness. In neither of these examples is the language strong enough to suggest that if God could start again, he would act differently. I think rather the implication is that God's previous actions had led to events that in the short term caused him sorrow but which in the long term would ultimately achieve his good purpose. God knew those situations would occur, but he was grieved when they did occur. Some people suggest that Jesus has changed because he became a man, uh, in contrast to his eternal being as part of the Godhead. What we need to consider here is that Jesus hasn't changed in his character or in his nature. He has always been God and will forever be God. What he did at the incarnation when he was born was that he added humanity to his divine nature as he put on human flesh. And he was and is 
still totally God. He still has the same attributes and characteristics that he's always had. What has changed is that he, he became forever man as well. And he's still a glorified man uh, as he sits at God's right hand. He now has his resurrection body that will never decay or grow sick, just as in due course, we will also have resurrection bodies that will never decay or grow sick. And the fact of God being unchangeable, I think is crucial for his nature and for our faith. If God could change, then that would mean that he could get either better or worse. Um, in which case he either has been or would become less than perfect. But we have a perfect God who is always perfect, and so he cannot change. How would we know that he is perfect now and therefore fully trustworthy if he could change? How would we know that he might not become somewhat evil instead of completely good? How would we know if he was having an off day so that he might became, behave irrationally? And what if he were to change once we are spending eternity with him and suddenly became less than perfect or, God forbid, he became evil? It would be horrific to spend eternity with a less than perfect God. Well, how could we commit our lives to him now with even the possibility that he might not always be perfect? Equally, if God could change his purposes and plans, how would we know what he will do. He might then ditch his plans to send Jesus back to earth or to give us eternal life. Our whole faith would fall apart if God were not unchangeable. So it's absolutely vital for our faith that he is unchangeable and we have so much to thank him for that he will never change and he's absolutely perfect in his unchangeableness. Hallelujah. And for us as believers, the fact of God's immutability or the fact he doesn't change means that we can be sure of his promises. We can be sure of our salvation and of our eternal future because he will not go back on his word. His, purpose for, his purposes for us are eternally good and he will never change his mind on the salvation that he has given to us. We have glorious assurance in our faith because God doesn't change. And we really should praise God that he is unchangeable. But it also means that as we mature in Christ, we should become more stable. We should become more reliable as we are more firmly rooted in Christ. But for the unbeliever, God being unchangeable means that the judgment that he has decreed uh, so, uh, for them, because they have rejected Christ, uh, that being the only means of salvation, it will occur. But if God has said he's going to judge the unbeliever, sadly that's going to happen. And God will never change his mind on that. Uh, we get so many churches today that seek to water down God's word, and so they would like to suggest that he's not going to judge the unbeliever, that God has said he will, and he won't go back on that. And what God has declared to be sin, what he's declared to be an abomination in his sight, will always be that. And the fact that man may change legislation or allow or endorse what God regards as sinful, 
doesn't change God's perspective on such matters. God doesn't change, and that's good. And the other attribute today that I want to look at is, uh, I think, linked to his immutability, and it's the fact that he is eternal. And we could define this as follows. God has no beginning, end or succession of moments in his own being, and he sees all time equally vividly. Yet God sees events in time and acts in time. I think I need to repeat that. God has no beginning, end or succession of moments in his own being, and he sees all time equally vividly, yet God sees events in time and acts in time. It takes a moment to take that in, doesn't it? But I think it's marvellous. God is infinite, so time cannot limit him or change him as it does for us in our humanity. Only God is eternal. Time has no effect on God's being, on his perfection, his purposes, or his promises. And being eternal, God transcends time, for he is outside of it without limit. I told you this would stretch your brains. <laughs> uh, time has no effect on God's knowledge, otherwise he would change and become better or worse. We learn of God's eternality in Psalm 90, verse 2, which says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God has always existed, and he always will. He is infinite, with no beginning and no end. He's never waned in his being, as we do with age. Time began with, the cre time began with the creation of the universe, but God always existed before that. Um, I think perhaps a simple way to grasp this is, is to consider a timeline. We can look at a period of history um, set along a timeline. We can see it all in one view. And God does that with all of history, all of time, because he's outside of time. And yet he sees events in time and he acts in time. Time itself depends on God being there and upon God being unaffected by it. When God first revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush, remember back in Exodus 3.14, he said, he revealed his name and said, I am who I am. And that name in itself suggests the eternal present existence of God. He, he always is. Um, and we know that both Jesus and the Father are described as the Alpha and the Omega. If you know anything about Greek, that's the first and the last letters of the Greek alphabet. So God is before everything and after everything. And to God, all existence is somehow present because he knows the end from the beginning. In Revelation verse 13 and, uh, sorry, chapter 13, verse 8, we have uh, amid a description of the Antichrist, we have also a description of Jesus. It says, all who dwell on the earth will worship him. And in that point, we're talking of the Antichrist, um, whose names have not been written in the book of life or of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Now, of course, that's talking about Jesus. 
On earth, Jesus was slain at a point almost 2,000 years ago. But in God's view, it was accomplished before the earth was created because it was uh, part of his purposes from eternity past. It's almost tempting to ask, well, why did God go ahead and create the earth knowing that his son would need to be sacrificed because of man's sin? But his love for is so is and was and always has been so great that he wanted to create mankind to have a relationship with. Uh, but the greatness of his love will have to wait for another talk because that's uh, another of his attributes. We're probably all familiar with Psalm 90 verse 4. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it's past, and like a watch in the night. And a watch in the night, they used to split the night into four watches, so that's three hours. And God's knowledge of all the events of a thousand years, are it's as vivid as if they all occur today, or in a space of a few hours. All of time to God is as if it had just happened. And God is so unaffected by time that a thousand years in his sight is like a day, or like a watch in the night. But doesn't that put the brevity of our lives into sharp focus in the light of God's existence? Peter puts it the other way around in 2 Peter 3.8. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Now that's in the context of waiting for the Lord's return. Uh, but in God's perspective, each day can be seen as never ending, always being experienced. And this has implications for us to the extent that we forget, tend to forget things of years ago. Maybe we have the tendency to think that the sins we committed years ago, we don't really remember them much, so they don't matter much because they're faded in our, in our memories. But that's not the case with God, which is why his forgiveness is such a huge blessing for us. And perhaps the fact of God's eternal nature is a good example for us of his infinite being. All of God's attributes and characteristics are limitless and infinite. Because if there were any limits to God in any of his attributes, then he wouldn't be God. In God's eternal nature, he has always existed, he always will. There's no end to God's existence. He's always been a complete, perfect, loving and good God. He's never diminished and improved. And if he had, then there would be a time when he was less than 100% perfect, as we've seen. And we see God's infinity in his eternality, because we are so time-bound and eternity is outside our experience. But surely that helps us to understand the infinite nature of God in all his attributes. On earth we see some limited examples of perhaps goodness and love and power, some things that God has. But God is infinite in everything. And that is breathtaking. And despite the eternal nature of God's character and our future as Christians, it does seem that our future will not be without time. Speaking of the new Jerusalem in Revelation 22, 2, we read, In the middle of its street, on either side of the river, was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, 
each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And also when John is describing the heavenly Jerusalem in Revelation 21, verse 25, he, said, he refers to days. He says, the gates shall not be shut at all by day. And there shall be no night there. And even without night, it appears there'll be some reference to time for us in eternity. And the glorious truth and hope for us as Christians is that we can share in eternal life with God in the amazingly privileged position that we have of being part of the bride of Christ. We can never deserve or earn that privilege, but it's a wonderful gift of God through his grace. And we can only receive it by faith in what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And because death couldn't hold him, he is raised and he lives forever. And as we are in him and we have the gift of eternal life, then we will live forever too. We're not eternal because we had a beginning, but we will live forever with God. Um, but for the unbeliever, God's eternality has very stark implications. All unbelievers will be raised, but for judgment. And the Bible declares that the judgment that faces unbelievers will be an eternity of punishment in the eternal lake of fire. The prospect of that for eternity, I think, is horrific. And surely that must put an urgency in our hearts to pray for and to share the truth with those whom we know, but who don't yet know the Lord. Each person must decide for themselves whether to accept God's gracious gift of salvation, found only in Christ. And we know that many will reject that now. But how many really re realise the gravity of the options for them? But just in closing, for us, may we marvel at and enjoy the, these glorious attributes of God. May we be in awe of who he is and worship him accordingly. We have a majestic God. And I think it's such a wonderful prospect that we have forever in his glorious presence and that he will never change because you can't change perfection when you're God. So in the light of who he is, surely we must live wholly for him as we are in training for the fullness of eternal life as well. Shall we pray? Lord, we've looked at some pretty amazing stuff this morning and we pray that you would help us to understand it. Help us to digest the fact that you are the almighty God, so far above us that you have existed from eternity past and that you will exist undiminished for eternity future. Thank you that we have a God who doesn't change, who is perfect and it will always be perfect. And you want good things for us. You've given us eternal life so we can be with you forever. And we we'll thank you so much. Lord, help us to grasp this, to love you more, to worship you more, to live for you more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.